Good, morning. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, welcome to, again to our clinical updates for COVID-19. I am doing this from Hospital Sinai Bolo, so we are really social distancing from NIH. Thank you for joining us during lunchtime, so, uh, but for those of us who are fasting, uh, we can't eat anyway, so that's okay. First, I have a few short announcements that I have to do every time uh, concerning your CPD points. Uh, all healthcare providers and allied health personnel including research officers can get their CPD points for attending this live webinar. Do fill up the online attendance via website link shown on the screen shared earlier and on your social media account. As for Q&A, uh, we will try to address as many questions as we can. But now uh, in the past, after the webinar, uh, there will be a summary of the panel discussion. But uh, during this current period of COVID-19, uh, uh, ICR staff is uh, pretty busy with a lot of research projects now, and they may not be able to do it this time. Uh, so uh, you have to bear with us uh, concerning that. However, the presenter slides uh, will be up for viewing. Well, today's topic is really in preparation for what will happen when MCO is lifted. Uh, I think all of us know our numbers are coming down, and it shows that MCO is working and will work like in other countries. Uh, but the important thing now for us is to prepare for what we do with our usual day jobs and day work uh, after MCO is lifted. It will not be business as usual. The principle of strengthened hygiene and uh, social distancing or physical distancing in healthcare facilities will still have to go on. So one of the ways that many people now talk about uh, to address this area of concern is to explore the what virtual clinics uh, can do for our huge outpatient uh, care load. So today's webinar will be talking about virtual clinics at the outpatient, outpatient consultation level. What is the new norm in clinical practice during and post COVID-19? Now, to have to for this webinar, we have a very busy speaking schedule. We have four speakers lined up and we even have two sub-speakers lined up together. But I will introduce them one by one since the sequence of uh, speakers will change a bit because uh, I think Sunai Below is having some technical problems. So we will let those who are speakers who are at NIH present first. So I'm sorry for the, for the turnaround to overcome the technical issue. So first off, I presume uh, Pickpin, I will ask Dr. Nasrila to present first. Nasrila, are you ready? All right, sure. Okay, let, let me introduce you first. Uh, Nasrila is a family medicine specialist by training uh, and has worked in health clinics in Klang and Putrajaya. Since 2017, she has held the position of Deputy Director for Family Health Development Division at the Ministry of Health. So uh, I will pass her topic that she'll be talking about will be the pilot project on virtual outpatient health clinics and the MMC guidelines. So, Nasrila, you have the floor. Thank you, um, Dato. Thank you for having me here, uh, for um, allowing me to share what we have done uh, in last year, actually, when we were looking at how we can expand our services to uh, through virtual, um, through virtual clinics and virtual consultations. This virtual clinic, we embarked it, we planned for it from last year. It is mainly to 
help our KKs, our clinic kesihatan, where we have some issues. We have a problem where our appointment system does not seem to work. So we had congestions at our KK. And because of that, there are access issues. People have to wait a long time. People then default and don't come for our, for our appointments. So, and uh, we, we want to actually address uh, this problem that we are facing. So our goal at that time, to, when we plan for these virtual clinics is actually to improve this accessibility to our primary health care and to reduce congestions at our clinics. So this was definitely before COVID. So this was our main aim. And what we meant when we say that we are doing a virtual clinic is actually a planned contact by the healthcare professionals responsible for the care of a patient where the purpose is actually for clinical consultation, advice, and treatment planning. We do not plan to do um, prescription online, nor are we diagnosing online when we plan to do this. So it is a live interactive session, and it is by schedule. So our concept is such that now we know to post before all our patients will then go to our clinics, or to our private health facilities when they need some, uh, some consultation or some examination for their health issues. But what we plan to do is actually, instead of going to the clinic now, they are now being able to do some of these consultations from their home and thus save the journey, save the time, and reduce the congestion at our clinics. So we do need a platform to do this, what we call as content aggregation. But during our virtual clinic, when we uh, pilot it out, when we did a proof of concept, we actually just use uh, Skype for business. So who participated in this? They are adult Malaysians who are registered with the health clinic. That means these are not new patients that, uh, that has never been to see us. We have their records. And these patients are actually identified by our medical officers. We find we will approach the patients that we felt that need this virtual um, clinics, virtual consultations, and that can participate in this. And they agree to do this. So there is an agreement, there is a consent. And we, our scope at that time was uh, limited. We wanted to just review patients that has got uh, that has come to us and we need to see their results we want to advise them on their investigation results and we want to focus on our chronic patients disease patients that needs review or need consultation and monitoring of their management as a complement to a usual care so it does not replace usual care but it's just a complement so this was our um, target groups and we know that there are lots of benefit to clients where there is time save savings in transportation and thus when that when they have um, when they don't need to go to the clinic and wait there'll be increased in productivity and they are in comfortable surroundings as care is brought nearer to the client and of course, there is a reduced frequency to attend physically to the clinics. And we hope by having this, we are empowering our patients more on their self-care to report to us on how they are doing at home. So we, had, we did it in five different clinics. Uh, 
Putrajaya, Precinct 18, Section 7, Shah Alam Selangor, up north, Sebrang Jaya in Pulau Pinang, and also one each in uh, Sabah, Libuduyang, and Sarawak, Miri, Tudan. So we had to do all these things. We actually did a guideline. We gave out uh, templates. We gave out uh, consent forms. And we actually did the, the planning and the training. And, and then we wanted to start in May or June last year. So we did our preparatory visits, as you can see through the pictures here. However, we did not manage to do it in May and June because we had some issues on hardware. We thought initially that we could just use tablets, um, but however, we had problems with tablets where the Wi-Fi connection is not that good, so there is a problem with that. So the best is actually to use uh, laptops or even PC. So we need to procure that and that took time. But finally, we did it. We managed to roll out only in August, September last year. As you can see, from August and September last year, this is what we have achieved during uh, in our uh, proof of concept in the five different clinics. So overall, we can see that Success, berjaya, is not that bad. It's quite high, about 72%. What we mean by success is that patients actually uh, agree to do that. They put it is a, uh, on the appointment and the virtual consultation happened. Tidak berjaya means it didn't happen because of various issues and batal um, because of connectivity and so on. And batal or they, they, they because it didn't happen, this they because of they decided that they are not available at that time. So they, uh, what you call that, postponed the appointment. So um, overall, we say that it was encouraging. And we planned actually to upscale our um, scope of services this year. We wanted to include more services other than just what, what was mentioned earlier. We wanted to include things like uh, quit smoking clinics uh, or advice. We wanted to include our patients that are uh, maybe on HIV follow-up, uh, patients that are on TB treatment where we want to see the dots being carried out. We wanted to include our dietitians in it. And we wanted to include our other health, uh, like uh, all our um, facilities or services into the service. But however, COVID happened. So when COVID happened, we then realized that this is a way that we could do for the future where we need to reduce the congestion in the clinic. We need to have um, social distancing. And some of the cases we can see, we can manage through virtually. So with, the, with COVID, our objectives now, when we want to expand the virtual clinic, is to reduce client visits to health facilities. The less they come in contact in the health facilities, the better it is. We wanted to ease the movement control order. So uh, it helps patients well, if there is any movement control order, that they don't have physically to go through the, the roadblocks and so on to see the uh, doctors, but we are able to, to monitor them at their homes. And of course, to curb the chain of transmission of COVID-19. So 
we thought we want to improve our, increase our patients. We want to look whether we can review, of course, for, um, review results as usual. We want to follow up our patient's management and for other consultations if needed, and they can call in if they want to ask uh, on any other issues and we can give them advice and maybe order some investigations so that when they come in physically, we can then examine them and also look at the investigations together. So we will reduce the contact time for them when they come to the clinic. We also thought that through this um, uh, virtual clinic, when they call in, we can triage them and do some uh, follow-up for home surveillance if needed. So these are some of the scope that we are thinking of during this uh, COVID uh, pandemic. So we, we thought that we could expand to another 35 health facilities. So that will make it 40. And we sort of, uh, this is our initial plan. It might not happen this way. Uh, we will prioritize as, as we go on to where we feel that is needed uh, and where we can do it. So, and when we, took, when we look at it, these are the functionalities that we want in the system. When we plan for this um, during this COVID, we realized that we need to have a system rather than just um, what you call that, depending on our Skype for Business. There was issues with Skype for Business because it was not that easy for our clients to use. So we thought that with a system that makes it easy for them, where they can have virtual consultation, when they can do online appointments, where there is notification and reminders where you don't have to call to remind them, it will, it will pop up to remind them themselves. And there is simple clinical documentation for us. As you know, most of our health clinics do not have EMR. So if with a simple clinical documentation online that we can actually do, so it will save time and make it easy for our uh, providers to do this. And we wanted a dashboard and report. Of course, there must be some technical requirements that must be complied to, which means on data, on the DASA, Selamatan ICT, and of course, all the data must be stored locally. So with all these functionalities and technical, we actually uh, need to procure some hardware. We need to uh, look to, to find the right uh, vendor to do this and to get the, uh, the budget uh, to do it. And when we look at the vendor, when we choose, we must have a system that's already ready to use because this is going to be procured under the rural. While we are looking at this at the same time, we always, I forgot to mention earlier, is that we have to get our PUU, our Pegawai Undang-Undang, to look into this to make sure that the service that we do, it actually complies with whatever law and regulations that is available. As we all know, there is no actual uh, legal framework yet for virtual in uh, consultation and what we call as tele, telehealth per se. So um, except for a very long um, act that was in 1993, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, but however, eHealth is now working on that. The framework, the regulatory framework is being worked upon uh, by, the, uh, by our colleagues in the eHealth. But for us, as we come up with the, to, to do this virtual uh, consultation, we have to comply to certain things. And I'm glad to say that 
MMC uh, has finally uh, come up with a guideline for us to follow uh, so that we do not, uh, what you call that, cross the medical ethics and so on as we do the virtual consultation. We, it's already there in the website. If you look at MMC website, the guidelines for virtual consultation is available. And I am going to just share a little bit on it. Uh, it's called MMC Advisory on Telemedicine and Virtual Consultation. In that document, there is definitions on what it means by virtual consultation. And I think it, we must understand it is a form of telemedicine. And what is the role of MMC? That is to regulate the physicians, not the technology. So they are regulating us and remind us that the use of technology does not alter ethical, professional, and legal requirements in provision of care. So whatever we do physically, it also translates that virtually. And um, to, do, to use telecommunications, Physicians are advised that they must process adequate training and competency to manage patients through telemedicine and we must follow ethical and legal requirements where there must be a valid informed consent from the patient. Uh, when we did our POC, we had a consent where the patient signed because the medical officers themselves source out the patients and then have a, a conversation and the patient agrees. So when we wanted to do this, um, what we call um, increase our, our clinics and so on, we wanted patients to be able to just uh, book online and then you know uh, uh, agree to uh, and have the virtual consultation or even have a platform where they can ask for uh, advice and using a virtual consultation. So we will not be able to get them to sign a, um, a document. However, when we discuss with our MMC colleague, it says that as long as we ask them, ask the patients and we document it somewhere that the patient has consented, then it should be fine. As long, the point here is that we must ask consent from the patient. And um, so um, among others is the physician side, patient side has appropriate technology that complies with legal requirements regarding privacy and security. And the other thing that I, need, I want to look, like to point out is that in the guideline, it said that doctors can only have virtual consultation with a person who is already his or her patient. This can be seen as continuation of care. So it means that for us in the health clinics, if that patient has never been to the health clinic, then for the first visit, he or she could not use virtually as a way to get a consultation. He has to come physically first. But any patients that has been to our clinic where we have her records or his records, then this is considered as already our patient. And so this can be seen as continuation of care and they can then use the virtual platform to have a consultation. And there is a distinction between advice for wellness during a daily communication and a telemedicine virtual consultation. So for those who actually call up and ask for advice, should they come to the clinic? I think I have this, well, should I wait on things like that, where we just give advice 
but not a consultation or not a diagnosis, then that is all right. So we can actually have a triaging kind of um, facility if we want to look at this uh, uh, virtually. And interestingly, in the MMC guideline, they, they put in a special circumstance where they understand that we can go into a national epidemic or global pandemic as what we are having now. So the use of communication technology can improve the access to care. And this is being uh, acknowledged to avoid patient coming to and congesting the clinic. So it says that even though the, but the code of professional conduct clearly said a physical examination is ethically mandatory. However, a non-physical contact virtual consultation makes a physical examination incomplete other than visual and auditory observation, but it's often possible to make an accurate diagnosis from just the history and a limited visual and auditory observation. So they made that observation and thus a registered medical practitioner under current circumstances conducting telemedicine virtual consultation feels that this is so in good faith that means they can make a, a, a probable judgment based on that um, the, the virtual uh, and what they hear from history, then appropriate treatment can be initiated based on such we did without the need for a physical examination in person. So I think this is something that is quite uh, uh, really helpful in the guideline, but it only applies for a limited time during the situation mentioned as it should. So I think this is something that we can take upon and what the, the, the ethical, the MMC has uh, lined out is something that can we can we can do the virtual consultation within the, the guideline and it was really appreciated that this guideline came out in, the, in, in a timely manner. So um, the whole guideline can be seen, as I said, in the website. So, uh, and, and I think that what for us in the health ministry, one of the measures that we take, one of the many measures that we plan to take post-MCO is trying to improve our virtual consultation, our online appointment, and, and others so that we can actually ensure social distancing and avoid overcrowding in our clinics. And I think this is what we have to emphasize upon post-MCO in our services. With that, I thank you. Thank you, uh, Nasrida. Thank you. Um, uh, I think the guidelines from MSC was uh, certainly very timely. I think it gives us good guidance and gives us enough freedom to move forward with this uh, newer care platform uh, area. So uh, I'm sure there could be questions for Nasrila, but we'll keep it to the end. So write it down somewhere, put it up in Slido if you wish, uh, and then we can uh, address that later together with the panel. So uh, I'm going to go back to the original schedule uh, and uh, the other three speakers will go in their usual sequence. Uh, so next off is uh, Dr. Benedict Sim. He's an ID consultant from Hospital Sungai Buloh. Uh, uh, he will talk about his experience of how uh, the virtual clinic was started for his uh, large cohort of uh, HIV patients. So I'll pass you over now to Dr. Benedict. Thank you, Dr. Chris. So um, just a disclaimer um, uh, for those of you who are, uh, who are expecting a, um, a presentation on a, 
COVID. This is uh, uh, this is not a case presentation on COVID. This is um, a presentation on uh, a virtual clinic, which I um, I think becomes um, increasingly um, important and in, uh, the it's, it's uh, uh, role in the in the current epidemic. I think has, has been underlined. Okay, um, so this. Um, comes from the from 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 the NHS and they actually um, look at what are the types of uh, conditions in which uh, a virtual uh, clinic um, uh, for a chronic disease is uh, appropriate and they mention things like uh, the patient's clinical needs and a treatment request is straightforward um, you have access to the patient's medical records the patient can give you all the information that they want and need um, uh, by phone or by video link and uh, you do not have to examine the patient and the patient has the capacity to decide about treatment. So whenever there are um, a patient's um, uh, clinical condition or chronic disease fulfills um, this definition, then uh, a virtual clinic um, is uh, appropriate for them. Uh, we do not have all the, as Nasrila mentioned earlier, we do not have um, everything um, uh, uh, sorted out yet uh, for virtual clinics. There are still some questions at which um, it is it is not fully um, established. Um, um, one is the, the conditions for which um, telemedicine is appropriate. Uh, number two, there are still issues about um, ensuring confidentiality, safety, security of the information that is given. Um, of course, there's uh, standards for how you obtain the patient's uh, consent and um, and how do you confirm the patient's identity. And uh, man, these are just some of the issues that uh, we have um, uh, realized from doing um, telemedicine, and we are studying some of these issues in in, in terms of um, uh, going on um, uh, doing trials to to actually study this. Um, just a bit of history into um, uh, our services for telemedicine in um, in our HIV clinic. It started back uh, um, more than two years ago. Um, um, initially, it was just tele review, looking at patients. Uh, um, uh, blood investigations and communicating by them uh, with them over the phone about their, their results, uh, whether it's something that they should be concerned about or whether we should bring them uh, back in for further um, uh, investigations and examination. And then um, uh, in September 2018, uh, we kicked off um, um, a, a, a tele review of a patients. And so we chose patients who are stable and uh, we had a set time on uh, Thursday afternoons and this was um, done in order to reduce uh, uh, clinic visits. Um, a year later, we, we moved into um, um, expanding our clinics uh, to involve night sessions as well because we found one of the limitations in uh, recruiting patients was that um, if the hours are too restrictive, then uh, it becomes uh, uh, difficult for them to, to, to um, uh, join in this clinic. Um, these are some of our numbers uh, that we have uh, recruited uh, over this time, and uh, and uh, these are the um, in 2020. These are the numbers before before our MCO kicked in, and um, uh, with the MCO, we expect uh, to increase our, um, our recruitment of patients. So, um, the, just some uh, the content of uh, what I'll present. Uh, I'll start off with the background of the, the Easy Clinic, and uh, why did we want to start this um, teleclinic, um, uh, mainly it was uh, challenges that the, the patient faces in terms of uh, work commitment, um, transportation. Uh, we are a referral center for the Klang Valley as far as um, uh, HIV is concerned. So some patients actually travel um, uh, uh, quite a large distance. I think based on our surveys, 
um, 75% of patients travel between 20 to 90 kilometers to come to our um, uh, our clinic. And um, uh, as in many other government hospitals, there's uh, um, uh, many of them end up having a long waiting time. And, uh, and then there's also parking space problems in the hospital. Um, and uh, there are also challenges for us healthcare providers as well because of the increasing number of patients, the, um, uh, the clinic uh, hours being quite fixed and, uh, and um, uh, limited facilities and space. And, um, and uh, sometimes we're unable to fulfill patients' circumstances in which you know, if they can't come during office hours, then it becomes difficult to, 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 to um, uh, fix appointments for them. And uh, sometimes you end up defaulting um, uh, visits and that leads to bad outcome. So um, uh, the aim of this uh, setup of this teleclinic was to reduce uh, congestion in the clinic, um, to improve patients' uh, satisfaction in terms of uh, accessibility and experience, reduce default rates among um, stable HIV patients. So all of these um, um, objectives were, uh, remain the same um, as of uh, two months ago. But uh, in this last two months, as Nasrila has mentioned, there are other benefits to having this. Uh, number one, uh, you, you won't get summoned $1,000 if you flout the MCO. And uh, number two, of course, um, we get to cut down, um, or at least we, uh, it makes social distancing uh, much easier within the hospitals and, uh, if less patients are physically present. Um, so there's a schedule into the into the um, uh, uh, this uh, uh, teleclinic, which we call Easy Clinic. Um, so this is the standard um, calendar for a patient who is not in the Easy Clinic. They come um, on the first month, they take blood. On the second month, they see a doctor. On the seventh month, they take blood again. On the eighth month, they see a doctor. And this cycle repeats every year. Okay, and uh, when we calculated the time involved and um, including collecting of uh, medicines, uh, patients were spending uh, between a day or two in, to in total spending time in, in hospital. And um, with uh, this um, easy clinic, uh, we've managed to cut down some of the, um, uh, some of the, the uh, these hours. And uh, even if we include collecting medicines, even if the patient were to come to collect medicines every month, um, uh, whereas there are other options uh, nowadays where we can actually post medicines to patients as well. Um, the overall uh, spending time spent in the, uh, um, in the hospital is uh, 14 to 18 hours. That, that works out to 40 to 60% um, time saved uh, coming to hospitals. So the patients can, uh, this is how we recruit the patients. So the, uh, when the patients come to see us in the second month visit or in the eighth month visit, that's when um, uh, uh, we assess them whether they are suitable for um, um, uh, whether they fulfill the criteria for, for coming into the easy clinic. So um, this is the, the internal pathway where, where the patient is uh, recruited at a two-step um, process. Uh, initially, uh, initial recruitment by the doctor um, uh, to, to screen through which patients may be appropriate for this, and then a more detailed screen by the counsellor. And, um, and then the counsellor will give the appointments and the briefing regarding this um, uh, session. So this, um, so we've got a, a schedule just for um, patients who are on the Easy Clinic, and then on the on the, the next thing um, that needs to be done is on the day before or, or, or the time before the the teleclinic um, where the doctors. Uh, so we've got a doctor's roster, and then uh, they prepare themselves before the video call and the WhatsApp reminder is given to the patients by the counselor one day before the video call so that they don't miss the appointment. On the day of the appointment itself, the patient is registered. Um, they are made ready, um, uh, made sure that they are ready for the session, and then uh, the doctor attends to it. And uh, afterwards, the counselors give a, the follow-up 
and feedback form. Um, what the doctor needs to do after that is to document it into our clinical notes and then um, arrange for any further visits or interventions um, if the patient needs any um, uh, you know, the new referrals or any uh, investigations that need to be arranged for. Um, lastly, um, uh, the doctor um, uh, uh, collects whatever issues that may be that may have arisen, either clinical issues or te uh, uh, technical issues, um, um, and then we, we meet up and discuss these issues once a month. So there's a patient selection uh, criteria. This is a very loose uh, uh, criteria where a doctor goes through. Uh, we choose patients who are stable um, uh, in terms of HIV, and they don't and and, and they have got any comorbidities. The comorbidities are also stable, and they don't have any medication side effects. At the moment, we are only choosing patients who are fluent in uh, uh, Malay and English. But of course, um, uh, moving forward, this can uh, um, be expanded further. And um, we also. Yeah, uh, uh, it's important to make sure that patient is familiar with teleconferencing. If patient has used a Skype video call before or a, or a WhatsApp video call, then that would be good enough. And um, then they'll be referred to the to our counselors, our, our, our paramedic counselors, and our paramedic counselors will go through a more detailed um, uh, selection criteria, looking at um, uh, uh, seeing, make, ensuring that comorbids are stable. Patient has a good uh, record of compliance with uh, with. Uh, medications and compliance with appointments and they understand um, uh, the disease well enough, they've got stable so, um, social circumstances, they've got WhatsApp so that we can communicate with them um, easily and, uh, and uh, they have got a suitable schedule and, uh, and uh, that if they change their, their contact uh, details, they will update us. Um, we explain to the patients about uh, the benefits of Easy Clinic, the limitations of it, and um, there are limitations, as uh, what Nasrila can mention. The main limitation being that we can't examine the patient. Um, uh, um, so then there's a the, the, the timetable, so that patients don't get confused. How do we? How do they go to the to the to the clinic uh, when they do come physically, and uh, and uh, confirm their contact numbers? And uh, for security, we also ask for the patients mother's name so that uh, we, we will be able to run through a security question when they um, uh, when they log in to, to meet us. So the patients need to understand the schedule of the, of the easy clinic, be able to adhere to the uh, scheduled appointments, understands the scope of the, of the clinic and the limitations of the clinic. They can't choose a doctor. Um, if there's an acute problem that arises in between clinic visits, um, it can't be addressed in, the, in this teleclinic. Um, it does not allow for physical examination. So if the patient has a condition that uh, uh, we are concerned about, we have to arrange for a separate face-to-face -face, uh, visit. And um, uh, so, so should new chronic complications arise, further follow-up is set the decision of the doctor in charge and the patient cannot insist that they want to remain in the easy clinic. The role of the doctor, um, uh, uh, we have to ensure that our doctors are trained, they have completed a, 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 a training module for HIV, they have had at least three months of experience in a HIV clinic, have been set in with uh, video call sessions before, and they are committed to monthly debriefing sessions. Um, and uh, so this is a list of uh, a checklist of things that they need to do. They need to be punctual, review all the, the notes and the vital signs and the blood investigations before the clinic starts. And, um, uh, and then we confirm the identity of the patient when we call them. Um, uh, we try not to um, uh, use disease-defining words uh, just in case um, there's any compromise in uh, confidentiality. And um, uh, so there's a consultation checklist as well where the, where the doctor goes through in case that um, uh, to ensure that they don't miss any important points. Um, but this uh, is just a, it's, it's just a guide to the doctor. Um, 
and uh, they have to keep in time because uh, 15 minutes later, the next patient will be calling in. And um, after the video session, they document the, 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 the encounter and make any necessary arrangements for the patients if there are extra arrangements that need to be made. Um, the role of the counsellor is to, to register the patient, remind the doctors, uh, confirm that the patients did take their blood investigations and uh, ensure that patients are well reminded. Okay, so this is a message that uh, a template of message that uh, we'll be giving out to a patient um, uh, before the session. Um, this is uh, the platform that we are using currently. Um, we are using a, a program called uh, Video, and uh, which is uh, HIPAA compliant. Um, uh, that means it meets the standards for um, uh, teleconsultations for uh, for uh, medical needs um, and confidentiality, and all is ensured. This is this is given to the patient. Okay, and this is a template of the, uh, for them to give us feedback after the session. So the role of the patient, um, again, a checklist to prepare any queries they have for the doctor beforehand, uh, be punctual, be decently attired, ensure that you are in a suitable place and, and time. And uh, we encourage the use of uh, um, earphones or, or headphones for better privacy and uh, clarity. And, um, and, and if they have a companion, coming during the clinic to ensure that um, whoever is there also knows about the patient's status and doesn't interfere with the uh, clinic consult. So um, these are the things that we, we, we need to have in order to run this, uh, uh, set up uh, uh, the, the hardware, if you may. And um, these are the, the human resources and the infrastructure that we need. And finally, what the patient needs, uh, uh, they need to be tech savvy and have a data plan and, uh, and um, so yeah, uh, uh, yeah they, they understand the limitations of this clinic and they are able to commit to this uh, clinic. Okay, uh, with that, I thank you. All right, uh, uh, thank you, Ben. Um, obviously, there's a lot of background work that needs to be done before you can start off a proper uh, clinic consultation. And I think the ID unit is still uh, trying to get things uh, working better. The good news is, uh, Dan didn't have time to share with it, but the good news is that those we have been able to review the follow-up care of these patients up to two years now. And based on their viral suppression, they do just as well as the patients who are doing the face-to-face -face encounter. And, and that is very reassuring. Okay, let's move on to a next platform or next discipline that also uses uh, telemedicine or teleconsultation. Uh, with us is Dr. Suganti Robinson from uh, Hospital Kuala Lumpur. She's a consultant dermatologist, obviously, and she's also the chairperson of the Malaysian Psoriasis uh, Registry. So uh, she'll be sharing with us the, the experience of using telemedicine in uh, dermatology, obviously. So uh, Suganti, you have the floor. Yes, thank you, Dr. Lee. Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I'll be sharing with you my experience in teledermatology, which is, which is actually not a virtual clinic per se, but more of a valuable tool that we have used in the past to diagnose and manage uh, skin diseases, in particular in rural areas who do not have a direct access to a dermatologist. So the teledermatology that I'm referring to was something that the MOH and dermatology started about 10 years ago. Uh, this is my disclaimer slide. So back in 2010, with about 70 odd dermatologists in the country, our dermatologist patient ratio was one to 500,000 with no dermatologists in Sabah. 
So patients uh, in Sabah would have to travel to obtain their care either in Kuching or West Malaysia or wait three months or longer to meet their visiting dermatologists. Okay, so as a consequence of this service gap, teledermatology services was initiated, especially in the state of Sabah, as a pilot phase. This constituted of uh, setting up uh, a network with workstations set up at five district hospitals in Sabah, namely Kudat, Beluran, Ranau, Tawau, and Keningau. These were the receiving sites, and of course, the sending site or the expert center was based in the dermatology department of Hospital Kuala Lumpur. So each workstation had to have a computer, a webcam, a digital camera, the software and hardware installed, and a printer. Maintenance of this network was handled by a third party uh, undertaken by the Ministry of Health. So the clinic ran every day from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. It was run by the specialists on call. The specialists would have to be registered with the system with a unique username, ID, and password to log on. And once registered, the specialists would be able to receive notifications on their mobile phone whenever they received a referral. And the referral would usually have to be replied within an hour. So, however, referrals made after 3 p.m. would be attended to in the next working day. So the referrals were made either by the in-house medical officer at the receiving site or the medical assistant. So this system uh, is not in real time, but used a store and forward method where images are stored, the clinical information is stored, and then transmitted electronically to the consulting dermatologist. So the communication was between doctor and doctor or doctor and healthcare professional and not doctor to patient. Therefore, from the receiving site, the MO and the, or the MA would need to register the patient, key in the clinical uh, information, upload the uh, relevant clinic uh, photographs and click send and uh, await for a reply within the next one hour or so. So this is how our interface looked like where the patient is registered, the clinical data is entered, photographs of the lesions are uploaded and electronically transmitted to the uh, expert center at HKL. On the other end, the, uh, once registered uh, and the data sent, the specialist would receive an alert on the, his or her mobile phone. They'd be able to preview the case on their mobile phone but the actual consultation would, uh, would have to be done at the workstation proper. So at the workstation, the specialist would be able to review the clinical information together with the digital images, give out a diagnosis and a management plan together with a prescription and send this back to the referring center. If a, a skin biopsy was needed, it would either be done at the center if the medical officer was confident in performing it, or if not, then the patient would be sent to Kota Kinabalu for this to be performed. Okay, so once the, the, the specialist has sent the reply, the receiving site would just then receive this information, okay, and would be able to carry out the specialist uh, plan accordingly. They were able to print out the specialist prescription and give the uh, relevant medications. So these centers were also supplied with uh, special medications 
that were usually not available at uh, primary care level. So apart from providing opinion and diagnosis and management, teledermatology also enabled LIS-A or LIS-A asterisk uh, medication to like potent uh, topical steroids and isotretinoin, which is used to treat severe acne, to be prescribed at the primary care level. So the, the dermatologist, of course, will have to give advice on the proper instructions and counseling to be given to the patient. The specialist would also be able to give feedback on the quality of the referral, the clinical information provided, whether it was adequate or not, and the quality of the digital, digital uh, images. And for, especially for inpatients, uh, they could actually follow up the progress of the patient and this two-way communication between the medical officer and the specialist could go on actually until the patient is well enough to be discharged. Hands-on training was actually provided to the uh, medical staff at the, the, these five hospitals when the visiting uh, dermatologist visited the hospital. And this included uh, training in taking quality photographs as well as on how to perform a good skin biopsy. So uh, uh, this system also allowed us to get real-time reports. Okay, so that we had a fully retrievable database of all patients secured by a password protected access. We could access uh, daily summaries. We could uh, review back all the patients uh, who were referred. We also download all the number of patients that were referred within that week or that month. And we also could get information on the uh, quality of the referral and the images and also the time taken to reply the referral. So you can see here that uh, the bulk of the patients that were referred uh, were eczema patients, followed by the cutaneous skin infections and psoriasis. And most of these patients actually can be managed at primary care level when they are mild to moderate. Only about 6% required skin biopsies and needed to be referred to the uh, tertiary center. So um, notably, teledermatology has helped uh, immensely in providing dermatology services in rural areas at a primary care level. It has reduced the travel frequency of the visiting dermatologists and the costs, and likewise the patients to the tertiary care centers and made available list A medications at the primary care level. Were there problems? Of course, no system is perfect. So you can imagine the internet speed 10 years ago so whenever there was a problem with the network speed, sometimes on bad days, it could even take up about an hour, more than an hour for the images to be downloaded. And there was, when there was disruption of the mobile 3G service, then the specialist would not get the alert. And this would translate into delay, uh, patient waiting at the center for a prolonged period of time, or sometimes they even had to come back the next day before getting a management plan. The other problems we had, usually this was when they changed the staff. So the, the skills were not passed down and sometimes we get poor quality uh, photographs over under exposure or the, the angle is not appropriate. So you can see here that initially we had very good response. In the first few years, we received about uh, 20 to uh, 30 to 40 cases per month 
over 400 referrals per year. But you can see at the end of 2014, the numbers started to drop. Of course, uh, with technology, the phones got smarter. And with the advent of 4G, referrals were made much more quickly using other applications like your MMS and later on WhatsApp. And furthermore, uh, we had our first resident dermatologist in Hospital Queen Elizabeth KK in 2014. So due to this dwindling numbers of referrals, our tele-dermatology services was terminated in mid-2015. So 10 years on, our dermatologist patient ratio now has increased from one, uh, to one to 250,000. We have at least one or more dermatologists in each state, uh, except for police, which is covered by visiting dermatologists. And currently so far, we have not uh, conducted any virtual clinic in dermatology yet. So uh, with that, I thank you. Uh, thank you, Suganti. Uh, oh, it's sad to hear that it's been uh, stopped for a while. Perhaps with COVID, it's sometimes uh, it might be a good thing to think about restarting again, uh, because I think social distancing uh, will remain for quite a while with us in the, uh, going forward. But thank you very much. Uh, certainly, I think in the, the last two speakers have shown us an example of what type of patients may be suitable for teleconsultations. Uh, I think both Ben and Suganti has highlighted certain characteristics. Uh, before we take questions, let's go to our third speaker, uh, which is Dr. Nodiana Nodin. She is the head of the geriatric unit at Hospital Sungai Bulo. Uh, and she'll be, and she just started. Um, virtual clinic for geriatrics just uh, recently during the COVID uh, pandemic. And uh, she'll share with you uh, the type of patient's profile that she has chosen to run this virtual clinic and perhaps also some of the limitations that she faces. Uh, she'll also be joined in the presentation by two of her team members, but I'll leave it to her to introduce them later uh, in her presentation. So um, uh, Diana, you have the floor. Hi, good afternoon, everyone. Can you hear me? Uh, can you see the slide? So, so uh, thank you, Dr. Chris, for the kind introduction. I'm going to talk about geriatric teleconference visit, um, which we've just initiated barely about three weeks ago. Um, we are pressed by the situation, um, and now you know, going beyond COVID-19, what's it like um, after this? Um, a bit, a bit of disclaimers. And um, so, what happens here? WHO has actually declared the COVID-19 outbreak a pandemic uh, in the middle of March 2020. And um, our government has since enforced the MCO um, on the 18th of March, um, for which there is strong prohibition of mass movements and gatherings across the country. What's important here is that our elderly population are the most vulnerable among everyone else. And uh, just to quote a study that was published um, recently on the 11th of February by the Chinese Center of Disease Control and Prevention, um, it, uh, this, they actually looked into 77,000 uh, participants and uh, 44,672 were confirmed, confirmed COVID-19 cases. There were no fatality uh, reported at the age of nine and below. And uh, everyone else above had a fatality rate of 0.2% until it reaches, if you notice, until it reaches the geriatric age where there is the there is an exponential rise of percentages of fatality from 3.6% right up to 15% in the Chinese population. And um, as of today, our fatality rate in Malaysia has gone up to 20%. So it, 
So this just portrays how vulnerable, vulnerable our elderly uh, people are. So the thing about the older persons, um, they are actually dealing with mixed conditions. Most of them come with multiple comorbidities and uh, they have issues such as cognitive issues, social, they are frail. And one main, main bulk of the issue is mobility and logistics. Why are they vulnerable? Um, most importantly, they actually have a poorer immune response. As I've mentioned earlier, they have multiple comorbidities such as ischemic heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, and chronic lung diseases. Um, at least a quarter of them are institutionalized, may be here in our country or elsewhere. And we actually have a huge number of elderly living with family in more crowded situation. Um, this, for example, um, in rural areas. Um, obviously, some of them actually live in isolation and they have huge mobility challenges. So th this gives us more pressure into um, reaching them. And uh, there's a small proportion of them live in poverty. So why did we come up with uh, GTV, the Geriatric Teleconference Visit Clinic for our elderly patients? As I've mentioned, first come, uh, main, main reason is uh, they're vulnerable and we noticed a huge default rate in our hospital. Um, when you say, when you mention hospital, Sungai oh, that's a COVID referral center, so nobody wants to come here. If you notice in between January to February, um, our default rate was hovering between 18 to 30%. And the moment uh, MCO was uh, instilled, we had a huge default rate right up to 53%. Um, and at this point of time, uh, between March to April, it went up to 64.7%. That's the highest default we've seen so far in our clinics. Um, and this is despite us slashing off the clinic up to 50%. So from that 50% who was supposed to come to us, we had a default rate of more than that. Um, at one point, one of the days, uh, we were literally waiting and there were no patients. And uh, when we called, uh, they were actually being stopped at the roadblock. Um, with GTV, um, for the past three weeks, we've actually had a slight drop. It's down to 50% default rate, and we are hoping to see a uh, better response uh, in the near future. Now, moving on, we also, we, 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 we also worried about this movement control order. So if you, if you notice prior to two days ago, when um, they've lessened the rule that you can now travel in pairs, um, we were not allowed to travel, so we were supposed to be driving alone. Um, our elderly patients, they normally come with their caregivers. If not their care caregivers, they'll be coming with their spouses or their children. So that doesn't help um, in, in our usual traditional clinics. We had two of our patients on the day itself. Um, this is running the traditional clinic. When we called, they were stopped at the roadblock and they were, they were actually being instructed to return back home. Um, so all the more reason we really needed to reach them because otherwise, you know, they end up not coming um, in the future as well. Um, of course, with this MCO, we want to avoid crowding in the hospital. So obviously GTV proves beneficial. When there is a huge default rate, we do expect a default in medication compliance and adherence. So this is one way for us to solve this issue. Um, and it's one way for us in looking at how can we actually um, um, serve uh, more, more, more and more of our patients. Finally, our our, uh, our ultimatum is we do want to reach them. However they are, wherever they are, we really do want to reach them. So telehealth has been used in home-based models to reduce the need for healthcare providers and to make home visits um, 
also to help meet the increasing, increasingly complex needs of older adults living at home. Um, what has been proven in virtual visits um, out there, studies have, studies have mentioned that um, you know, um, it is proven beneficial in supporting family members or even the patients who actually have dementia. Although, um, although you know, some, some discussions have said that no, it's not wise to treat dementia uh, virtually or over the phone, uh, but even psychiatrists have actually looked into um, teleconferencing with their patients to avoid things like uh, behavioral and psychological disturbances. So how do we select our patients? Um, at the moment, um, pressed by the situation of the MCO and this COVID pandemic, all our patients with, um, with or without the next of kin who consent to this, we actually allow them to be recruited in our, in our uh, GTV clinic. And we only, we only see follow-up cases of um, existing cases that has been to us. Um, no new cases are being um, seen in our GTV because I believe that you know, we have to examine them physically. And uh, with agreement, we, they ought to have availability of good connection via mobile app and also computer. Um, and um, they, should, they should be fluent in Malay and English, or if they have um, caregivers who can translate it for us. Now, if you talk about elderly, elderly patients, the older persons, they, they normally come with a hearing and visual impairment. So we do expect them to be prepared. Um, you know, we have the advantage of looking into the notes when recruiting patients. Um, so if we think that, that um, um, they're not well enough to be seen, if they have certain impairment, so we will actually uh, you know, continue with the traditional clinic. So if they have hearing and visual impairment, we tell them in advance to put on your glasses, to put on your um, hearing aids prior to the consult. The main limitation is short of physical examination. So uh, we're not able to examine them. So things like you know, lung examination, uh, cardiovascular examination, uh, that has to be um, exempted. And uh, we, we hope that you know, this is just, uh, it's not a replacement clinic, but uh, um, it's just a transient phase and sub the subsequent appointment patient ought to be seen physically. Um, of course, there are there, the usual limitation is uh, connection and signals where image res resolution is not that great. And uh, with this, it doesn't smooth the consultation. We had a case of miscommunication for where, you know, we have received consent from the, main ne the next of kin, which is the daughter of a patient who agreed. But then on the day of the GTV, um, it was passed on to the maid who happened to be the caregiver of the patient who lives in Pahang. Um, so yeah, with this, mis you know, we, we didn't expect this, but these are the kind of things that we would see in the near future. And yeah, we're still in the beginning phase, so um, we are learning. The good point about this is it is definitely a patient-centered approach. Uh, we have received good feedback from both family members and the patient themselves. Um, we have actually reviewed patients, in fact, in their own couch and in their beds. So this is their comfort zone. So they, they tend to be more forthcoming in terms of giving us the history uh, and their progress. Patients also tend to stick to their scheduled appointments as well. And um, for me, I feel that I get to explore impending issues. Um, for example, there was a patient um, uh, recently that we saw um, who defaulted one follow-up prior to this. And then two weeks later, she got he he was admitted to hospital Tanjung Karang, uh, whereby he developed jaundice and was pretty unwell. Um, he was then referred to Selayang Hospital for an EUS, but 
the daughter planned to actually default that appointment because of the MCO. So um, we had a rescheduled appointment for him from the previous appointment. And this is when we got the history that he was admitted to Tanjong Karang. Um, the reason why he defaulted prior appointment was at the beginning of MCO, the main person who brings him logistically, well, usually is stuck in Kampong in Kelantan. Uh, so due to the MCO, the patient was not able to come in. So with this, we managed to solve a few issues. And in fact, we even advised the patient to go to Slang Hospital to proceed with the EUS. Uh, patient is well now, ERCP has been done. So you see, we, we, we could bypass a lot of things and um, um, give uh, good consults to the patient. Um, and also indirectly, we got to avoid unnecessary hospital visits and uh, reduce hospital admission. So what's our experience so far? Um, it's, it's just in the beginning phase. It's only been three weeks. Uh, we've seen nine patients so far. The mean age is uh, 82 years old um, and the average MBI is 56%. We've seen three patients with low MBI, 15 and 21. Two of this, we, we did our virtual consult while patient was in, was in bed and uh, they were actually pretty thrilled. Um, a, good, a good number only had primary education and we had a good proportion of male to female ratio. How satisfied were they with our GTV? 89% of them were very, very satisfied and the same proportion also thought that RGTV is very relevant and helpful in the care and management of the patient uh, themselves. We asked, them, we asked them to rate our services and we divided them into the three categories, um, um, nursing assessment, pharmacy consult, as well as the physician consultation. Um, more than half of them were very, very, were very, very satisfied with um, the service that was given. Um, um, and um, when, as we rate the services as a whole, 67% um, of them were actually happy with um, average quality of service, the communication via WhatsApp, um, allocation of time prior to this, and the question and answer sessions. Probably because of the, of the initial phase of this, you know, and we're still beginning to learn, um, a huge proportion actually needed more than 10 minutes to set up, you know, the, the whole uh, process um, prior to the consultation itself. Um, and they also reported um, good and excellent verbal communication. Quality of image was very, very much acceptable. And um, they, they actually reported uh, that uh, the session was pretty much uh, private, so which, which is a good plus point for us. So is teleconferencing equivalent um, to our traditional visit? Uh, you'll be surprised that 67% of them actually agreed that it's almost equivalent to the visit. Uh, maybe because, you know, they, we could reach them. They were also forthcoming. They were happy with everything. Um, to be honest, I thought they, they told me more than what they normally tell, tell me a report um, during the uh, usual visits in clinic. And these are some of the comments that we received um, from our patients and the relatives. Um, all of them actually gave good feedback. Um, the most important factor was time and convenience. Um, um, only one actually said this is the first time that they did it, but otherwise they were very, very happy. Okay, I'd like to pass this over to my uh, nurse, um, Staff Nurse Aswin. She has been very, very helpful in, in uh, organizing the clinic as well. She will run through a bit of the protocol um, and her experience. Thank you, Dr. Diana. Hi, Assalamualaikum and good afternoon, everyone. I'm Staff Nurse Izatul Azim from Geriatric. Uh, genetic team. Let me start with GTV flow. Uh, before consultation day, 
we we will send three message to the family member and the patient the first message to take the consent before video call second message link to install app and then the third message link for assessment uh, such as uh, gds and npi on consultation on consultation day we register first before start video call confirm identity patient and we can ask the family member to uh, for uh, for vital sign uh, and then uh, geriatric assessment after 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 patients uh, after patient finish uh, to see pharmacy and consultation doctor we need to text the patient or family member next appointment and give feedback form this how identification confirmation uh, like the picture patient will have to show evidence of identification hospital card the for the assessment first mini mental state examination we call mmse uh, for uh, like the first picture patient uh, must uh, copy the shape and then show uh, show via video call the second assessment clock drawing test we call CDT. Let me share the video. I would like to stress open the CDT. We were spectacle if patient were able to do. If patient were able to do it. Okay, the next assessment for button and lotton. We can interview patient during GTV. For NPI and GDS, we link uh, link will be given the page to the patient one day before prior to GTV. So comparison GTV versus traditional visit. GTV, the first limitation during communication, but traditional visit is your communication since assessment is done face-to-face. -face. Second, buyers as family tend to help with the assessment, but the traditional visit not buyers because the assessment uh, will be done under uh, between nurses and patient. Third, no proper documentation and filing happy for the assessment, but the traditional visit, proper documentation after fi and filing after assessment done. Now I will pass to our uh, clinical pharmacy, Puan Siti Malisa. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Awin. Hi, everyone. Looking back at the workflow presented by our nurse, we pharmacists were actually replicating the normal clinic flow with a bit of cha changes, traditional visit, both objective and subjective assessment were done on the clinic day, but in GTB, we sent the objective assessment prior to the session, one day earlier, together with the nurse's assessment. Uh, it is a self-answered questionnaire to measure adherence. This will actually cut down uh, the time to see patient during the teleconference. On the GTB day, as per traditional clinic day, we talk to patient and reconcile the drugs. By doing this, we will identify uh, any drug-related issues. Since adherence is my top priority, adherence assessment will come first in the picture. Looking at the literature, uh, integration of telemedicine into pharmacy practice is not a new concept. In fact, uh, the earliest example was published over 15 years ago. And this systematic review by uh, Joshua and his colleague on uh, impact of clinical pharmacy services delivered via telemedicine in the outpatient uh, or ambulatory, ambulatory care setting. This is a systematic review. Uh, they have actually gathered 134 relevant articles that mention about the involvement of the registered pharmacies in the telemedicine 
and only 34 uh, studies with measurable clinical outcome and comparator were included. Uh, they conclude that number one, the most utilized intervention were telephone. Only four studies use a video conference and none of the studies evaluate benefits of video capability over telephone. Number two, the most studies focus on uh, chronic disease management, uh, including hypertension, diabetes, depression, asthma, asthma and etc. The intervention have overall uh, positive impact on outcomes related to clinical disease management, patient self-management and adherence. These are the summary of the seven studies that mentioned on the adherence outcome. Six out of the seven uh, student, uh, studies were RCT and only one retrospective cohort. Five out of the seven studies shows positive outcomes where there is improvement on the adherence. However, I have not looked into the single study to really see how they measure the outcome. As I have said earlier, during reconciliation, we will uh, identify drug-related problems. For examples, uh, polypharmacy and redundant supply of meds where patient has multiple doctor's visit. Upon physician consultation, pharmacists will then review again the latest prescription of the day before deciding the method of supply for the patient. Based on the prescription, some drugs may not be suitable to be posted, so we will advise for a fast pickup at the pharmacy. In my setting, we have a service called uh, park and take, sort of drive through but not really a drive through because we don't have the facility to offer that. So we alter a bit. Patient uh, still have to park and just pick up the mats without waiting at the pharmacy. Uh, this is a short video clip on how uh, we run the session with patient. Uh, the patient and family has actually consented us to use the video for educational purpose. Okay, uh, that's a short uh, video clip. Uh, with my limited experience with uh, these virtual clinic things, uh, I must say that uh, I have the privilege of working with a wonderful team and that actually make things easy. And uh, I have a full support from my pharmacy head of department. Uh, all of us know that if you want to go fast, uh, we go alone. But if you want to go far, we have to do it together. On behalf of the team, thank you for the opportunity to share our GTV experience in this platform. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you. I'm finally allowed to talk. Uh, thank you, Melissa. Thank you very much. Uh, now, I think let me quickly summarize before we go to the Q&A. Uh, we have a lot of questions and uh, I apologize first. I don't think we can answer uh, all of them. Uh, first, let me recap the three departments who have shared their virtual clinic experiences. Clearly, not every type of patient will do well running a virtual uh, consultation. Certain groups of patients will do better. The more homogenous the group, the easier it is to run the service. Uh, the more stable the patient, obviously follow-up patients, the more stable the patients, the easier it would be to run uh, these services. Now, and these services can never stand alone. You heard the issues about physical examination. So all these virtual clinics will be linked together with the face, the usual traditional face-to-face -face encounter. For the ID clinic, interspersed with the virtual consultations in between were the physical attendance where the patients will have their blood taken at the same time will be examined and seen by a doctor. So in one year, they will still, still be seen by a doctor at least twice a year. For a stable patient for HIV, that's pretty okay. Uh, so, uh, and clearly there are some issues that we don't have answers to yet. And I think, but with the COVID-19 thing right at our doorstep, I think we have very little option uh, 
but to explore further with this. And we will probably find solutions as we go along. Okay, I'm gonna go very quickly to some questions. Uh, we have uh, three sites that we'll have to answer, obviously, uh, at Prashajaya, at HKL, and also at the group here in Sungai Bulo. Uh, first, the most important question, most important question, how do patients pay the fee? It's all about money, uh, terrible. Uh. First thing they want to know, how do you pay the fee? Now, I'm gonna answer on behalf of Ben, uh, and probably on behalf of Diana, because their clinic, you know, free one, uh, no need to charge, free one. So Ben want to collect money, also don't know how to collect money. Diana patients forget to give money, so they are, they are done. So I'm gonna ask Nazrila. Nazrila, they are very concerned how to collect money, Karajan no money. Nazrila, we can't hear you. We... <laughs> Sorry. All right, that's a very good question. And that is something that we're always, you know, um, grappling with. For the five clinics that we started, because it's a proof of concept. Can you listen? Can you hear? Now I can hear you. All right. Okay. Um, so for the five clinics that we started, as it is a proof of concept clinic, we say that uh, we waive the fee for the virtual clinic. However, moving forward, we know that this cannot continue. So what we hope is that we are able to link the online when they when they book the appointment that uh, online payment mechanism will be available for them to pay for the registration for those who need to pay. And this is something that we are working on. I mean, the Bahagian Kewangan and Bahagian Account is working on, on how to do this so that, uh, you know, that payment can be made when they register for the service online. So it's work in progress, Datuk. Right. Okay, so for all those people, you want to do free service, better do it now. <laughs> Later, we'll find a way of charging people, huh? right? Uh, okay, let's go to the next question. Is that all right? Okay, uh, this question came up very frequently. Uh, I'm sorry, I have to address this to Nazrila again. These are policy questions. Uh, are medical practitioners uh, providing telemedicine in Malaysia protected by medical indemnity insurance? Wow. Wow. That's a tough, that's a tough question. Um, I, I, can't hear me? Still can't hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Yes, yes. All right. Uh, this is quite a tough. Yeah. Um, it is it's a tough question. Um, I am not sure whether it's protected by medical indemnity insurance. All I know is that we have to follow whatever we do at our virtual platform is going to be applicable as it is through our physical, uh, the way that we do our physical clinics. So if we do not follow that, then uh, we are being, what you call that, uh, we will be liable if we don't follow our medical ethics. So whether the medical MDT insurance covers telemedicine is what we are, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I can't answer that, but I think our framework, the regulatory framework will address those issues that is being working, being worked upon by our e-health people. 
Thank you, Nasrila. I'm sorry if my reply to that is uh, out of tech context because I missed some part of your reply. The connection in Sumerbalon not so good. Uh. They never pay bill. Not so great. Must tell Kudip what are you? But uh, we we discussed this in ministry in, uh, in last year. And whatever service that's done officially under Ministry of Health, of course, MOH will cover yes. our practitioners when they do teleconsultation officially. But in the private sector, you are right. It's a it's a different ball game, and uh, I there will be an area that needs to be explored further. All right, let's go to the next question. I'll try to give uh, Nasrila a break. Uh. Nasrila, I won't catch you so much for a while. But here, everybody asking about money, money, money. I don't know. Okay. Uh, okay, uh, let, let, let's finish with Nasrila first. Okay, last question for you. Okay, Nasrila, I'm sorry. Okay. Is verbal consent sufficient for the virtual clinic or do we need a written consent of some form? From my discussion with the MMC rep, uh, verbal consent is fine as long as it's being documented. We have to document that a consent has been taken, that the patient has consented to it. So it's either written or verbal, as long as consent is being taken. That is my understanding when we discuss with the MMC officers. Ben, you want to mention that? Uh, ben, you want to just share uh, what Sumer Belong has done, what you have done for ID? Um, for our clinic and the, 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 the HIV virtual clinic, um, because we recruit the patients when they actually come face to face with us. Um, so that's the time when we actually take a written consent from them, and uh, the consent actually writes out the, um, uh, what the tele. Uh, clinic offers and uh, what uh, limitations of the teleclinic and the patients are actually free to choose whether they want to embark on the teleclinic. Yeah. Okay. Uh, thanks, yeah. Ben. I, I think uh, uh, it can be verbal, it can be written, but it can be opportunity for written consent by all means, of course, better. better. Uh, uh, if any of the other speakers want to join in, they can now. Uh, okay. Uh, okay. And you and Diana are not off the hook. There are questions coming. Uh, okay, this question, I think both Suganti and Diana can, can chip in for this. Uh, is there any agreement? Okay, somebody move. Is there any agreement not to record the consultation? Or are there any disclaimers that if there's any recording, the recording is not valid in court? Wow. Okay, so Ganti, obviously you are sending images images everywhere. So of course this may be of concern uh, because the picture may, may not look very nice, obviously, isn't it? The patient is sick. So uh, what is your what is your what are your thoughts on this, Suganti? Okay, uh, thanks for the question. So basically, in in all our clinics, uh, whether it's a face to face consultation or via teledermatology. For all our patients that we take photographs, there is a written informed consent that we obtain before we take the patient's photograph. Okay, and, and they are informed that these uh, photographs will be stored in a secure place and will not be shared uh, in, in uh, other platforms except for internal discussions. So a written informed consent is taken for photographs. Uh, otherwise, uh, we have not done any virtual uh, uh, consultation except for teledermatology. So no other consent was obtained apart from the photograph consent. Uh, 
Okay, so every picture that you send around, there is a consent given by the patient, is it? Yes, yes, that is correct. Okay, great, great. Uh, Diana, I, we saw just now in your video, you were uh, obviously uh, looking at some of the pictures the patients were drawing. They, they draw not bad, huh? they, they probably draw better than me. Uh, are there any concerns from your patients or their caregivers that, that people might be recording this or has that been brought up to your attention? Um, we went through the whole uh, ethical process, um, actually discussions after discussions uh, prior to uh, running the GTV. So what happens is we actually uh, WhatsApp them uh, a template of uh, yes and no's to be done. And with the hope that, you know, of course there, there is uh, with the verbal consent that they have agreed. And on top of that, there is a whole uh, template which says, um, you're, you're best not to record any of this. Um, and we hope that they don't, they don't record. In fact, whatever that we have taken on our side is actually with consent. So we tell them, you know, we want to record some of this. We do want to take a few photos here and there for uh, teaching purposes. And they have actually consented um, both on WhatsApp and also verbally uh, via the virtual uh, conversation. Um, so I hope that we pretty much covered for that really. Um, just to add a note, um, we do not have this written consent like uh, the infectious disease team, but we do have a consent reply by uh, the family or the patient themselves on WhatsApp that we screenshot and we save all of those um, as uh, acceptance of the consent. Okay, okay. That's, That's good. good. Getting digital. digital. Very good. Uh, now, the next question I'm going to address to Ben because the issue issue is on confidentiality. So surprise, surprise, Ben has the most major issues in the area. So uh, are there, have there been any occasions of inevitable breach of confidentiality? Uh, because you hold a lot of uh, sensitive information, isn't it, in your consultations? How did you address this? Yeah, uh, thanks, Senator. Um, that, that was always one of our major uh, concerns and priorities uh, because um, the, the clinic that we are running, um, the infectious disease clinic, is uh, almost uh, completely uh, patients with HIV. And so um, quite a lot of uh, thought was uh, put into this. And um, um, we, we went through uh, various rounds of um, how do we ensure that the person whom we are seeing behind the screen is actually the person who is uh, um, who is supposed to speak to us. And so we, um, we came up with uh, security questions um, as well. We checked the, 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 the last six numbers of the IC. We asked their mother's maiden name, which has been keyed in um, before um, in the in the previous visit uh, when we are recruiting the the patient so so far there has not been any issues of uh, confidentiality the other thing that we have been concerned about as well is uh, uh, where does the consultation take place so um uh, there were patients that were um that that had done the teleconsultations at their workplace there were some that did it by the roadside, in a park, in a shopping center. And so we have that, uh, different experiences. And um, so over time, we have actually um, uh, come up with uh, guidelines telling them that, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, to use um, uh, headphones or earphones to, so that, um, you know, when I speak,
speak, nobody else around you can 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 hear, and also to find for a suitable place and 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 and, and time when um when uh, 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 the consultation can 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 take place at, at, at ease. So um, if we find that I think there was one consultation we had where the guy stopped by the roadside to actually answer the phone call and um, and so those kinds of uh, um, uh, situations won't be acceptable and uh, we'll actually tell the patient that we'll have to call them back again later if we think that it is uh, uh, they are speaking at the inappropriate site. I think just to add on to what uh, Ben has talked about uh, about uh, breach of confidentiality uh, and I think uh, Diana may have alluded that to some degree now there was some concern that the patients may be recording recording the consultation all right uh, using the video that we use in the ID clinic uh, they can't record uh, but if they put another phone or another device to record what's happening, what's being talked about in the in, from the computer screen, of course, they can catch every single thing we say. Now, I think we must not be surprised. The patient shouldn't be recording. I think all of us agree on that. But even as a physical patient walks physically into your clinic now and starts talking to you, he may be recording from his phone in his handbag or in his trouser pocket, and you wouldn't know. So everything we say can be recorded. And I think here in the modern era, uh, we have to assume that our discussions may be recorded. They shouldn't, but they can be. I think there's always a safer assumption. All right? And I don't think uh, here, as what Ben suggested, if when during, uh, when we start running that, that consultation with the patient, the patient is not in a suitable place, then we can always ask them, can you find a more suitable place and we will call you back in five minutes time or 10 minutes time or whatever uh, so that they, sometimes we just catch them in the wrong place because they say they'll be okay at four but suddenly they may be in the wrong place these things can happen so that allows us some flexibility uh, i just want to add my ask my own questions because here the telemedicine or virtual clinic gives us takes away number one as nasrila mentioned takes away the distance of coming to the clinic the next, it takes away the issue of the time dimension to it. We can run it on a, on, on a, at night because the patients may be finding more suitable at night. So I think Sumai Bulok mentioned that they have already started the night clinic. Uh, and uh, can you maybe, Ben, give a short, uh, no, short, short, short uh, mention about how that night clinic has gone? So um, we've taken a survey among our patients and uh, and asked them which is the most uh, suitable time frame and uh, and um, actually sixty percent of them mentioned that the best time to have a clinic is actually between six to eight pm. So um, that um, uh, spurred us on to open the the, the tele clinic and, uh, uh, at least once a week uh, at nights and um, uh, moving until until nine pm. So it was more of to meet the patients' needs and because uh, we realized also when um, we were too restrictive with the time then some patients who would otherwise qualify for the virtual clinic were not keen on it because they you know them at that time i'll be at work and uh, it wouldn't be a suitable place uh, uh, for me to have the teleconsult okay I, I think time is running up so i'm going to squeeze in uh, you're all making funny signs at me i pretend not to understand uh Mohana, what signs you do with your fingers i don't want to see <laughs> don't, don't uh okay quick question uh here for Nasrila, all right? I, I'm sorry, I'm Nasrila, I'm breaking my promise again. Uh, someone wants to know, are we rolling out virtual clinics in for all KKs in Malaysia? 
Well, um, we are trying to uh, definitely... Sorry, can uh, you hear me? Okay, can you say that again? Thanks. All right. We are looking at increasing the number of clinics that we can do virtual, virtual uh, consultation. It might not be applicable to some areas where maybe the clinics are not that busy and the people are able to assess the facilities easily, but definitely at the urban and suburban areas would be our first priorities. So we are thinking about it, going about it in phases. Um, give us a little bit of time and then we, we want to definitely roll it out because the proof of concept, the five clinics that we have done showed that it could work. I just would like to answer a little bit on the question on indemnity just now. I just got a text, uh, somebody that told me that telemedicine and e-consultation is covered under MedDefend. And it states so in the clause 3.33 in the certificate. So those who have MedDefend, uh, it's not to be concerned. It's, it is covered. Great. Okay. We are all insured that. Very good. Okay, final question. Uh, this one uh, directed directly to Diana. Uh, this person wants to know, since you just started the GTV just a few weeks ago, how did you manage to do it in three weeks? Wow, Diana, somebody is impressed. Okay, you have the floor, Diana. Last one. Um, tough question. Um, to be honest, I think I was pressed by the situation, um, as I showed um, in, in, my, in my slides, the graph portrayed uh, the huge percentage of default. Um, so I was very, very concerned about the aftermath. And then I spoke to um, our ID colleagues and the staff who has actually run this. Um, um, but ours is slightly different from their system. So we plan it all up. Um, the tough part, well, the, the challenging part about uh, geriatric medicine is I don't function alone. I'll have to function in a team. So I needed to have um, several discussions with uh, my, uh, our nurses, uh, our clinic nurses, geriatric clinic nurses, and the clinical pharmacist um, at best on how to replicate our day-to-day -day service to, to the home virtually. Um, having that, we started writing our protocols, um, implemented what is uh, being written up um, in, in the MMC. Um, and we had a strong backup from our IT department as well. Um, who actually helped to install uh, the program in our desktop um, in, in, in the clinics. So at the moment, two rooms are being used um, for our GTV clinic, um, as well as um, our usual uh, running clinic traditionally. Um, how in three weeks? I don't know. We just, we just had to make it happen. And um, yeah, Alhamdulillah, it's been, it's been going smoothly. Okay, thanks, Diana. Oh, sorry, meant to say uh, can, can I just add uh, that uh, the impetus behind um, doing this uh, virtual clinic um, uh, for us over the, over the last two years, the, the, the support and impetus and also um, the scolding uh, actually comes from our chairperson, uh, uh, Dr. Christopher Lee. Um, so it was he who envisioned this. And uh, I think now with COVID uh, uh, upon us, I think it is it is very timely to actually escalate the, the video consultation uh, uh, platform. I'll whack you. Like this also, you want to blame me huh? too much. Okay. Uh, thank you, everyone. I must thank all the four speakers uh, for spending their time and their experience with us. Uh, I, I think suffice to say, this is something that we have to take on board going forward. COVID-19 just makes 
the need more urgent. And this is a good time to take the impetus to drive it forward. I'm going to challenge my clinical friends here. It is the fourth IR. We talk about it all the time in our talks, but we have to walk the talk. Otherwise, we will never move. Those earlier days in HKL, when we were sitting in the physician's clinic many, many years ago, I think Dr. Hisham will definitely remember, we always make fun of it. They all came to our offices then in the 1990s to put, give us new computers, new screens, and say, this is telemedicine. I never switched it on even for one moment because I think nothing came up in that. I don't know how much money was spent. I think HK or Suganti must be sitting on some of them still. Uh, but that was making fun of the past. But now it's been so many years. Technology has certainly improved. Uh, very soon we'll get 6G and 7G in, in, you know, very soon. We have no excuse not to do it. But the good thing is in a short period of time, we have people who have just started the services like what Diana has done. Uh, someone who have done it a bit longer, like, like Ben and the team in Sungai Bulo. Uh, and Naswila has helped to put certain regulations and certain guidelines in place, uh, either through MOH or uh, through MMC. So there's, in, there's, there's some uh, experience on the ground for people to tap on. So I think if people are thinking of moving forward, I'm sure you can call them up and get some sharing of experience. None of us have learned to do it well yet. We are all still learning as we go along. Uh, and I'm sure in the years to come, the regulations will come into place and things may be on more solid ground. So with that, I, I hope you will take this opportunity and start a new adventure, like starting something new. It's, it's kind of fun as well. And I think generally patients find it extremely convenient. So with that, uh, I want to thank again all the four speakers, uh, Dr. Benedict Sim, uh, Dr. Suganti Robinson, Dr. Nasrila, and Dr. Diana from Hospital Sungai Bulo and her team of, uh, of uh, uh, staff who spoke with her just now. I also want to thank uh, ICR again for doing this, Dr. Gopikpin, I know she's hiding somewhere, uh, and Dr. Chiu who controls everything from the back, <laughs> who next us to death. So uh, I hope all of you have found this useful and uh, inspiring. Uh, and uh, we look forward to see you in the future ed editions of the clinical updates in COVID-19. So everyone, thank you and goodbye and stay safe. Christopher, Chris, thank you from here. <laughs> thank you for the idea. Virtual clinic is here to go. Oh, okay. Uh, unfortunately, today I can't drink your coffee because fasting today. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay, bye.